Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Peach of the Sea Podcast, brought to you by All Studios. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. We bring you a new episode on a weekly basis, mainly focusing on less known crimes from the UK and Ireland. However, at times we expand into cases from anywhere in the world and all ones that are well known. And as we are a true crime podcast, this caution is always advised. And today there is no exception, so please be aware. If you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer. Subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice. And if you have the capability, give us a rating and review as well. It does mean the world to us, doesn't it, Rach? We love those ratings. We do indeed. Yeah, no, we love reviews. We love ratings. We love it when we get new subscribers. We especially love Patreon subscribers too. Um, We just are really enthused and driven and motivated by uh, everyone who comes back and listens and supports our pod. So thank you. Yes, thank you indeed. If you like us that much that you want to support us, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon. Our lowest tier starts at just £1 a month. We release bonus content every month. The links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash scenepod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash s-c-e-n-e-p-o-d. And Rachel, we have a new Patreon, Debbie Richards. Welcome, Debbie, to the family. Patreon Claxon. Welcome, yes. Debbie. Woohoo. Welcome. We always appreciate when new people join. We hope you enjoy enjoying the extra bonus content over on Patreon and... As always, our DMs are open for you to slide into if you have any questions or comments. Yeah, or any case um, suggestions as well. We love hearing on those two. Exactly. We do, where possible, now release our episodes a week early for our Patreon supporters. So you don't need an infinity soul to time travel. You just have to simply support us on Patreon. So, Rach, how have you been since we spoke? Are you excited for what's happening next week? Why what's happening next week? You're going on holiday. Oh yes, sorry. I thought you meant um something else. Uh yes, I'm very excited. I actually leave today. Woo! Um so yeah, all good this way. How about you, Andrew? Yep, yeah, well, I'm not going on holiday. But okay. yes. I'm excited. Rachel didn't invite me, people. Isn't that shocking? It, it, I'm it's sorry. It's disgusting, like she chose to take her husband over me and her, and, and her daughter. And child. Yeah. yeah, and her daughter. I'm sorry. Although I kind of feel like explaining why you'd be there would I'd be <laughs> apologising profusely to Lee, so... Yeah, it'd be... I, I'm in a lose-lose situation, really. It'd be pretty weird, wouldn't it? So, Rachel, more importantly, are you ready for some true crime? I was born ready, Andrew. Now, this episode is the last in season two which means we're going to take a quick one-week break. And we only take one-week break a year, so you can't knock us flat. As Rachel just said, she's off on holiday. And I'm starting a new football manager save with Sheffield, who are in the Vanarama League South. So I'm myself probably not going to be moving from the sofa much. Fun facts. Yes, fun facts indeed. And now today I want to bring you a slightly different format of episode, one which I hope everyone will find as interesting as I did researching it. So as a podcast, the majority of our cases are in the UK, and despite London being by far the biggest city in the UK, we don't often go there, do we, Rachel? We so, don't, actually. That's a bit odd, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think we've done like done a, a couple of, of cases in and around London, but uh, yeah, interestingly, you'd think with it being like the biggest city, that they'd be like heavily populated around there, but no. Yeah, no, I realised that, so I thought... I'm going to try and correct that a little bit, just for the end of the episode, end of the season, Ooh. sorry. So I'm going to cover... Balance ho- things out? Yes, I'm going to cover a whole year of homicide in London. Oh, wow. And that year I picked is too far. How long have we got today? We've got about five hours. So you're not going on holidays. I've, I've done this on, on purpose, people, so Rachel misses a flight. But um, <laughs> yeah, the year I picked is 2018. Now, I picked that year because it's recent enough but it's not too recent that some of the cases would have had a conclusion. Yeah, good point. And I guess as well, like, um, it's like, sometimes when you look at like the late 
2000s era, like in the last couple of years, um, it can be really tricky, can't it? Because cases are either they've been to court and they're they're maybe being like um like sentencing's being contested or potential like for retrial and things like that it's it's always like tricky ground isn't it so close but then yeah. I also love doing the the more recent cases because I feel like we have more information on them yeah more yeah. more stuff readily available to research yeah it is it seeks a one and a half a dozen of the other isn't it yeah yeah so yeah and I, I picked the term you you may have noticed that I picked the use the term homicide and some of you might be thinking, well, that's quite an American term. But I picked the term homicide because it means killing of a person by another. Because if I had just picked murder, then it discounts the likes of manslaughter and and similar charges. So homicide actually just means the killing of another, not yeah. a particular type of crime. And I absolutely love America. And uh, I, I, you know, it's a nod to our American listeners as well, isn't it? It is indeed. It is indeed. And I always think about, we had a comment when we very first started where you said you love America and someone commented saying they love the UK so you can swap with them. And I always keep that in mind because because I was always so happy that someone left us a comment. So if, if that person's still listening, thank you and drop us another comment. But Yeah. Don't you find it fascinating? Sorry, we will get into it in a minute, but don't you find it fascinating when somebody else is like, obsessed with where you live and you're like oh I'd, I'd do anything to like live in the states um curse the green card system um but yeah like and then and then somebody else would be like oh no i'd, I'd love to live where, where you you are and i'm like let's just swap let's yeah. actually just swap lives let's see how it looks yeah exactly yeah let's, let's anyone want to swap with me then <laughs> I've, got, I've got a very needy dog but <laughs> so it's also worth noting here rachel that the Met Police, the Metropolitan Police, which is the London Police, counts the date of a homicide for their status as being the 24 hours in which the crime is reported to or coming to the attention of the police. So sometimes it's not actually when it was committed. Wow. I didn't know that. I did not, I did not know that either. I love it when you bring fun facts. Yeah, not so fun, but yeah. And so... All in all, in London, there was 137 victims of homicide in 2018 reported. And from what I can gather, as this figure was a little bit harder to get because I had to actually count them manually, there was 132 actual homicides committed in 2018. So 137 reported and 132 actually committed. But I did count those, so my count may be a little bit off there. Um, so after the 130, a few little stats here for you before we yeah. get started. Love a bit of data. Yeah, so from the 137 homicide victims, 104 were male and 33 female. 28 were classified as a result of domestic abuse and 109 not. Now, by far the largest method of killed by was, was by knife or sharp implement, standing at 82, with the second larg- largest being shooting at 15, However, there was such a wide variety of methods used, such as, as well as knife and guns, there were crossbows, baseball bats, heavy objects, strangulations, beatings, with feet or fists, fire, car. There were so many different ways that people were killed. Lovely. Yeah. That's really, like, broad range. Yes. 58 of the homicide victims were black, 57 whites. 19 Asian and three either other or not known. Now, there were all ages of victims, five of them being under 12, with the youngest just 11 weeks old, and 14 being over 65, with the oldest being 89 years old. So, wide spectrum then. If you're wondering which brewer in London, brewer, sorry, in London has the most, Greenwich saw the largest number of homicide victims, with 17 recorded. Oh, wow. And is, like, the population of Greenwich, like, quite confined, like, I don't know and large? To, I don't know, to be honest. We've covered a case from Greenwich before. But, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. But what about some of the stats for people who have been proceeded against for homicide offences in 2018? So yeah. the term proceeded against is used by the police 
and it's what they use for statistics. So what they define it as is a person who has been had charges brought against them. So the accused, so the accused basically, and the date is recorded as when they've been charged, not when the crime took place. So again, this might not be in the actual year. Okay. The people, the people may or may not be found guilty. So they don't record that. They just they've been charged. So the CPA, the Crown Prosecution Service deemed it to be sufficient guilt to find them guilty. So that's what they count people proceeded against. So it doesn't mean they've be always been found guilty. So in 2018, 232 people were charged with homicide-related crime. So of those 232, 212 were men and 20 women. The, the stats around which race the people being proceeded against were self-reported. So what people called, uh, classified themselves as, but 115 were black. 69 white, 18 Asian, 15 mixed race, with either 15 not recorded, other or declined to answer. Now, all ages were proceeded against, with four falling under 14, with the youngest being 10 years old, and six being 65 or older, with the oldest being 78 years old. Wow. So, within the London boroughs, unsurprisingly, as you can see in my last stat, Greenwich saw the largest number of people proceeded against, with 17 recorded. So, if you're a tourist, maybe give Greenwich a swerve. Yeah, I definitely would be swerving Greenwich, uh, especially late at night. I'm sure it's a lovely area, though. Don't. Oh, it is. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. I d- and definitely don't want to anger anyone, but the stats don't lie. But the, what I will say as well is, and, um, you know, like data can tell like many different stories and like what we don't have for context there is um like the the population um of of the area of Greenwich which could be abnormally high in comparison to the other boroughs of London you know when um so so likelihood is that uh, the percentage of crime is going to be higher because the percentage of people living in the area is higher do you know what i mean yeah it's also like Social economic status and things like that as well, isn't it? So absolutely, there's so many different things that you could look at. It is really interesting to call out these statistics, though, um, especially like looking holistically over a year and looking at different different buckets. Interesting how um, when they're capturing um, some of certainly when you were going through the race like part, there was a you know did could not identify. Um, and and I'm like, wow, gosh, that that crime must have been so bad, like in terms of the body that was discovered for for them not to be able to determine, yeah, um, the race of the the victim, like that's just a bit nuts. And then on the flip side, when um the the criminals are coming in and being booked, or all of that data is being collected, you know, pe- people that would prefer not to say like or give give information like that so i'm always curious about like but because I, n- I noticed that you'd said that there was a certain percentage that t- failed to disclose their race for instance yeah. um interesting yeah that is interesting you're right um it's just a few facts of figures or rage to help give some context because we are all about cases on this show so don't worry people i'm going to get into some cases but i can't obviously go into full detail or even brief detail on every homicide in 2018, It'd be a little bit too long an episode. Well, some of us have a flight to catch. We do. But I did want to go over some, just to put some human faces to those stats. So some of these may have more details than others. I haven't cherry-picked these. I just picked these at random. But I am going to totally contradict myself now by saying that the very first one I did cherry-pick. Because it's just because it was the very first recorded homicide in London of 2018. So I wanted to start with the very first one recorded. That's the only reason why I picked it. Okay, cool. So the, I love your honesty. No one would have known. No one would have known, no. But, and I'm reading these out also, the cases in, in date order, just because my OCD made me do it. The very first one is a Steve Navarez Jara. He was a 20-year-old piloting and engineering student who was attending a New Year's Eve party in Bartholomew Court on the Red Book Estate, which is in Islington. Now, also attending... So this was actually on the 31st of... 
yeah. December, December. But um, the crime committed on the 1st. So also attending a party was four friends who went together. Daniel Lenner, who is known under pseudonym Unknown T, and apparently he's quite a famous rapper. I haven't heard of oh. him, but he's even appeared with Drake at the O2 Arena. I haven't heard of him either, but that doesn't say a lot. Yes. I know Drake's famous. Um, there was also with, with Daniel was Rami Borland, Mohammed Musa, and Israel Ogunsika. Now, at some point, just after 3am, so we are on the 1st of January now, Mohammed Musa, he began to grab girls. He was physically touching them, including slapping them on their bottoms, and also, as well as the, the, the women, he was generally annoying people as well. So, as such, a mass fight began because of this, with guests grabbing knives, bottles, planks of wood, and one person even had a machete. Oh my God! At a New Year's Eve party. Yes. Uh, what is the, what? I know. You know when you 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 hear of these crimes. Sorry, I promise I won't comment on every single case. But you know when you hear of these crimes, you're like, why were you walking around with that? Like, why did you even have that on your being? Yeah. Like, it just to me. And New Year's Eve as well signifies like the start of a new year. You say goodbye to your son or your daughter. To head off to a New Year's Eve party, you expect to have them home, don't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, someone snuck it into the party, apparently. Um, yeah, I don't know why. So Steve, Steve was a participant in the fight, and at one point he was actually trading punches with Musa. Steve fell to the floor, and as soon as he fell to the floor, several people proceeded to punch him, kick him, hit him with wood. He was hit with that machete once, which is why they knew it was a machete there. He was stabbed twice in the chest and once in the arm, and he died at the scene at 3.30 a.m. Wow. Gosh. Now, Daniel Lenner, who was a rapper unknown to he would actually be found not guilty of murder or violent disorder. Mohammed Musa would be found not guilty of manslaughter, but guilty of violent disorder. And he was sentenced to two years with the full term being suspended. He was ordered to complete 250 hours of unpaid work, 22 days of program requirement, and 10 days of rehabilitation. Ramini Borland would be found guilty of manslaughter and violent disorder, and he would be sentenced in total to 10 years. And Israel Ogunsika, he would never be brought to trial because he was killed in a street fight. He was stabbed to death in April of 2018. Oh, wow. So that's that's the first case. So straight start of the new year, and it's a knife crime in London, which is what is in the headlines all the time. And even one of the perpetrators, a few months later, got killed himself in a knife fight. Great start to the yeah. year. Yeah, I'm not sure like what company the house party was kind of keeping, and and whether Stephen was in with the wrong crowds. Like for context, whether. You know, this this gang had turned up uninvited, or no, they weren't uninvited. Yeah, if it, but basically had their paths ever crossed with Stephen before? You know, no, they didn't know him. Yeah, so so like, I wonder what his mindset was going to the party that night. Obviously, assuming he would make it home, whether he was thinking, oh, you know, might be a bit choice. You know, a couple of people that. I don't get along with, but I'll just keep my head down and crack on, or whether you know he considered himself one of the lads. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. And for context, like you know, we we don't have the answers to that. But I am always curious when, when you're in company with people like that, are you aware? Like, are you conscious of that, or are you oblivious to it? Exactly. Yeah. No. You. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, Rachel. Okay. Our next case is VJ Patel. He was a 49-year-old small business owner. He owned a shop in Mill Hill in London. He was married and a father of two. Everyone who came into contact with him, either in his shop or that he knew personally, would describe him as a good guy, with his personality being described as good, natured and kind. Now, on, on the Saturday evening, the 6th of January 2018, he was working in the shop, as he usually was, when three boys entered the shop, two were 16 and one was 15, and they wanted to buy some Rizzler. So Rizzler are cigarette rolling papers uh, for those outside of the UK, and you have to be 18 to buy them. 
So another shop worker, not VJ, asked if any of them had any ID to prove their age. With none of them could produce any ID, they became verbally abusive towards the staff and they were ushered out of the shop. When they got outside of the shop, and we know this because the shop had CCTV outside of it, the three teenagers continued to act aggressively. By now, VJ was also outside, but he wasn't participating, he wasn't being aggressive, he was simply stood observing with his hands in his cardigan pockets. All of a sudden, one of the teenage boys, one of the 16-year-olds, lunges at VJ while his hands were still in his pockets, and he hit him in the lower jaw with his right forearm, forcing him to fall backwards and hit his head. Now, as the shop worker chased the boys off with a shop sign, they were seen laughing and joking about what happened. They were showing off that they made him fall over and hit his head. Now, an ambulance was called for VJ, but he died the next day in hospital, to, hospital oh. on January the 7th. Now, all three boys... So one blow. Yeah, one blow, because it's the blow on the back of his head, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, that's all it takes. And it wasn't even a punch because he kind of hit him with his forearm. But yeah. yeah. Now, all three boys were eventually identified via the CCTV and they were arrested. But only one of the 16-year-old boys, the one who had actually lunged at VJ, would be charged. Yeah. And he was taken to trial on manslaughter charges. He pled not guilty, claiming self-defence, which ultimately wasn't successful because they had the CCTV. Um and he was found guilty and sentenced to four years in prison. Four years? Yeah, so two years and out. Well, four years in four years in prison and three years on licence afterwards. He's taken someone's father, husband, brother, son, and, you know, goodness knows, like, how many friends and probably a massive help to his local community. He's just protecting his shop and making sure that these kids move on probably goes to work every day, you know, not thinking about the consequences of things like that or the risk he puts himself at. And one blow and it's all gone. And the guy get the kid, sorry, gets two years. Exactly. And he wasn't even, he was literally just stood watching what was happening, probably to make sure he didn't escalate. But yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And like things like that do happen, don't they? Like this is still my premises right outside this immediate shop. And I don't want you threatening any customers that are going to come in and say, hey, can you go buy me some Rizzlers? These guys won't sell them to me. Let's be honest. We've all been 16 lurking for something outside a corner shop like booze or whatever. Um, So he's just being mindful, isn't he? Um, As anybody would be so that's heartbreaking it really is. really tragic it is luckily i never needed anyone to buy me my toffee crisps but um so now let's get forward a few days to the 11th of january and let's meet harry Uzaka. harry was 25 years old he was a model and he was signed with london's premier model management agency so he worked regularly and he had some famous friends and now he so he wasn't just one of those people that call themselves a the model because they post a few photographs on Instagram, but they're not really. He actually was a proper model. Like a fully bona fide yes. Yes. model. Uh, Harry was friends with another model, George Cole, but the friendship turned sour after George claimed and told other people that he'd slept with Harry's girlfriend, Ruby Campbell. Oh, naughty. The pair would exchange some heated text messages before George would text Harry saying that he'll come so they can fight and settle the dispute. George also told Harry to bring some friends, so Harry just simply replied with the message, come Shepherd's Bush. Harry lived, obviously, in Shepherd's Bush with Adrian Harper, and Cole took two of his friends, Mercer Dikanda and Jonathan Okibo, in a minicab to Shepherd's Bush. George and Jonathan had knives on them, George had at least two knives on him, and Mace had a machete. What is oh this? Oh my with, god! What is this with machetes? Like, you, you come for a fight as well. Yeah. But why? You know, I mean, they're models as well. Are they both models? Yes. Yeah. So first of all, shouldn't be fighting because you know the the face. Um, but like, if you if you're gonna come for a fight, like. <laughs> If you're going to come for a fight, like fists, that's all, yeah. you know, 
like why why these people feel a need to like is it threatening behavior having a knife on you maybe you know maybe it's oh, i'm gonna take it because i want him to feel threatened but like then that split second when you decide to use it changes everyone's life like yeah exactly oh, awful now adrian harry's um housemate he would admit well both that while both him and Harry would have metal bars in them, you know, from the dumbbells, they'd have those metal bars in them. They would, they would just had them because they were expecting to be outnumbered. But they were, he said they were also expecting a fist fight. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I think in a fist fight, you would expect that you might grapple for something around you. Like, and not not saying that I condone this kind of fighting either, but you know, like. Uh, uh, just just some like heavy objects that you can like yeah. hit people with again but like a stabbing is so much more intentional than finding something that you can hit somebody with and cause yeah. some bruising do you do you know what i mean i do yeah now harry actually was still expecting a fist fight so while he was with adrian adrian actually stays a little bit behind because of harry's request and harry went to meet george and a fight did take place However, it was more like an ambush with George and his friends, with George eventually stabbing Harry in the heart. Oh, wow. Harry managed to stagger back to Adrian and telling him he'd been stabbed before collapsing. Now, CCTV again would capture them chasing Harry and attacking him. I watched the CCTV. They even captured them just like afterwards, wiping the blood from the knife and then walking off. But yeah, it wasn't nice. And- and a stabbing in the heart, that general area, that that is again intent yes. to kill. That's not, you know, self, that's not self-defense. And that's also not, I want to warn him. So I'm going to like, you know, stab him in the leg or something. That yeah. That is pure, like, hatred for, for him, isn't it? Poor Harry. Yeah, because the CCTV showed them chasing him and him running off and trying to get away. And then it showed... Two of them stopping chasing because George carried on and, and caught him. Yeah. But yeah um, so George, Harry and Jonathan would all be charged with murder. George would admit to having two knives on him, but he would claim that Harry was the aggressor. And all three of them would plead not guilty to murder. George would be found guilty of murder and receive a life sentence with a minimum of 25 years. Wow. Yep. Mace, First decent sentence here. Yeah, exactly. Mace would be found guilty of murder and receive life with a minimum term of 22 years. Wow. And Jonathan would be found not guilty of murder, but guilty of manslaughter, and he would be given a 14-year sentence. Gosh, really made an example of those three lads, eh? Yeah. So our next person to look at is Syed Khan. Syed was a 49-year-old father of seven, and he worked at the A to Z Furniture and Carpet Store in Ilford. Syed also worked with an Imran Mohammed, who was 31 at the time. Now, Imran had previous convictions for dishonesty. He was, at the time, an overstayer in the UK, his visa having expired, so he was there illegally, and Syed suspected him of stealing from the store. On the 24th of January, to avoid getting caught for stealing and potentially being deported, Imran attacked Syed with an axe, hitting him 12 times in the head, splitting his head open. He then used a shopping trolley, this was very late at night, to transport the body to a local cemetery, and that is where the body and murder weapon was found seven days later. Mohammed, yeah, I know, wow, hitting the head was... No, there's a sense, again, of, like, you know, calmness, premeditation. You know, sometimes... I guess sometimes when we're diving into the bigger cases and the story's building up, it doesn't seem so... I mean, the crime still seems pointless or preventable, but it doesn't seem so, like, oh, such an inconvenience, like, you know, kill him, get it over with, hide the body. These are just, just seem so, like, awful because, yeah, yeah, pointless, yeah. Now, Mohammed would be charged with murder, but he would plead not guilty, claiming that it was self-defence, Syed owed him money, and Syed also kept making sexual advances towards him. Oh wow! That's what like, he, that's what he claimed anyway. And that, that's the other thing as well. Really bothers me. I mean, obviously, I don't know the truth 
in this particular case. But when people try and tarnish the dead, you know, the victim here, his family are suffering massively. And then you go and throw in that he was like, you know, sexually assaulting you or it was a pest or, you know, had come on to you and you denied him. And like, just to throw that in there, just to add further like complexity is it's just yeah, exactly. so cruel, isn't it? You've got to remember he wasn't the owner of the shop, he wasn't wealthy, he was a shop worker with a he was a father of seven, you no know, like yeah. completely yeah. normal person. He had a livelihood, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This man's just not he's only thinking of himself by, you know, def- trying to defend his actions. He's taken the life of someone. It's just Exactly. It would come out in the trial that he had attempted to cover his tracks by painting the walls in the shop and by cleaning up the bloodstains. Oh, and wow. yeah, four days prior to the attack, he had been Googling how to kill a man with a hammer and how to kill a man with a punch. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. After he had just dispos- Really nasty piece of work. Yeah, exactly. After he had disposed of the body and tried to cover up the evidence, he actually called the police, claiming to have been robbed and injured by a stranger, so he could cover up why he had injuries on him. He would be found guilty of murder, unsurprisingly, and he was sentenced to life with a minimum term of 24 years, and after which he would be deported back to Pakistan. Judge, wow. Exactly. Judge Molyneux would have a sentencing called a murder premeditated, and he would have to say this. You are a liar, a manipulator, and a thief, and had once again been suspected of stealing. You attacked him savagely and brutally with the axe. You hit him to the head 12 times. The force was so great that you fractured his skull. The injury to the back of his hand shows he tried to defend himself, but he never stood a chance against you. So I think the judge saw through exactly what he had done, which is why he got a long sentence. Good, good, definitely. And justice for the family as well. Exactly. So let's skip forward now. A little bit to February. It's the 9th of February. And let me introduce you to Hannah Leonard. Hannah was 55. She suffered from Huntington's disease. And on the 9th of February, she'd been drinking in a pub local to her, the Sir Colin Campbell pub. While they were not friends, she had been drinking in the pub with Lucy Casey, who was 44, and James Whitaker, who was 29. At some point during the drinking session, they all had an argument and the police were called. They, set, they settled their differences, though, and then and then when they settled their differences, they went and bought some fried chicken before taking a cab back to Hannah's flat. CCTV would show them all entering the flat, and CCTV would also show Lucy and James leaving the flat three hours later. At some point during those three hours, Hannah was stabbed 40 times in her legs, stomach, face and neck, and also, in addition to that, her head was stamped on. Oh, my God. Yeah. Both would be arrested and charged with murder, but both would plead not guilty, blaming the other one. James would claim that he hid in the toilet while Lucy killed Hannah, Then Lucy would claim that she was asleep and she woke up to find James standing over Hannah's body. So during the trial, evidence would show them entering and leaving the flat. A kitchen knife at the scene would have both Hannah's and Lucy's DNA on it. The CC, um, by DNA, I mean blood, not yeah. not just having held it. The, CC, yeah. the CCTV would show Lucy wearing Hannah's coat and carrying her handbag when she left the flat. And Lucy's ID was found in the flat in her jacket, which she left behind. Lucy, okay. Lucy's shoes would, fa- would be found to have, remember, because um, someone stamped on Lucy's head several, uh, on Hannah's head several times. Lucy's shoes would be found to have minute traces of blood on them and a footprint on Hannah's head matched with Lucy's shoe. James's footprint would be found in the blood at the scene, but no other forensic evidence would be found related to him. So James would be found not guilty of all charges. And Lucy would be found guilty of murder and sentenced to life with a minimum term of 22 years. And these people, they didn't even know her before they were in the pub that first time. No, and again, like, what a decent sentence. Like, you, I find it really difficult um, to, like, comment on, you know, what somebody should get when they've taken the life of another person. 
And I feel like there is such a thing as a too low sentence, obviously. And and what I mean by that is when you're talking about like single digit years and not, not really taking a massive amount of the um the person that's guilty, not really taking a massive amount of their life away from them when they've taken someone else's life. Like exactly. but it's just like a moment in time, isn't it? But when we're talking like you know, 15 plus years, that's a long stretch, right? Yes. And obviously, like a lot, a lot of places in the UK, it's half for good behavior, isn't it? But No, not a life. Still... A life is the minimum term. Oh, is it? Right, yeah. okay. Okay, okay. But still, when you're looking at those sentences that are over 15 years, it feels like yeah. that is a, that's, a, you know, at least a decade of your life, which is always significant. And then some, like, you know, there's there's obviously a good amount of time there for the family to grieve and feel, like, safe and that justice has been done as well, so. Exactly. And even if you think about that last case with VJ, or last couple of cases back, where the boy got four years on manslaughter, so he would be out in two with three years on licence. Uh, I didn't mention it, but because I didn't want to go into too much detail on older cases, but, like, he... For example, he already had a curfew on him, which he was breaking by being out because he had had several violent incidents in the past, including attacking wow. a teacher and punching a teacher. So when you put that into context, was any of that taken into a no. consideration in his sentencing? No, and that's the that's the that's the the injustice that's done here, isn't it? Yeah. Because the argument should be he should not have been out that night, and yeah. therefore he was breaking his know, it was breaking technically breaking the law being out that night. And he'll be out. He'll he'll be out before he's uh, when he's eighteen, and he'll be he'll be off his license when he's twenty one. Now, our next case is Bruno Cavella, who was forty one and a father of three, on the twelfth of February. He was a taxi driver, and he was working at the time when his taxi was hit by a van. So he stopped to get out and talk to the van driver. When he got out, he was shot by the van driver a number of times in the head and chest. He died immediately at the scene. And his, and his death was the first gunshot death of 2018 in London. Police investigations would show that his taxi was followed intentionally by the van. It was hit intentionally by the van and they believe he was targeted and that it was a contract killing, but they don't know why. The oh, va- my God. Yeah, the van had false plates in it and it was found two days later abandoned. Did they ever find the killer? Well, four men were originally arrested on a suspicion of murder, but they were released without charge. And Budden's murder remains unsolved to this day. How tragic. And, like, so many unanswered questions. Like, who, what what, what had been so bad that somebody had to take a contract out to take him? Yeah. Like, gosh, that family can't, his family can't rest easy on that. Like, it's bad enough to lose a loved one, but to not have any resolution must just be the worst, like, torture. And definitely intentional. The van followed him for a couple of miles. Yeah. And so none of this was like, oh, road rage or anything like that. It was, they might want it to look like road rage, but it was intentional. Wow. So let's move forward, shall we, to Twickenham and to the 5th of March. On this day, Laura Figuerella, who was 47, she was a married mother of two boys, would be found dead in her home with 60 stab wounds to her body and also defensive wounds to her hands showing that she had fought back against her attacker. Later that day, her husband, Adelino, and their two sons, Claudio and Jocrin, would be found dead at the bottom of a cliff. Sedatives would be found in both of the children and Laura. For reasons unknown, it is believed her husband drugged her and the kids before stabbing her to death and then taking the kids to the cliff Witnesses would say they saw him leading the two two very tired children towards the cliff. Oh my god. Yes. Forensic pathologist Charlotte Randall said it was not possible to say whether the boys jumped, fell, or were pushed <sighs> or were pushed from the cliff. It was two hundred feet down the cliff where and their bodies uh, were found in Eastbourne. Oh my god, that's awful. Yeah. So murder suicide. What would make you want to kill you? I, I know we've then, covered it before. So then he took his own life. Yeah, he jumped off the cliff with them. Right. Okay. Well, he either pushed. I don't know, but he was at the bottom of the cliff with his two two oh boys. Oh my god. Yeah, I I think like it's very very tricky 
subject, isn't it? Because again, we don't have a lot of context for this particular case and it might be one that we pick up and look into in further detail in future, maybe. Um, but Ooh, very... 60 times, though. That's anger, isn't it? It's hatred. Yeah. Yeah, but you, your own children as well. Yeah. I, I just... And pre, um, premeditation yeah. by drugging them first. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. Seven days later... Now, this is actually a link to a recent case uh, seeing Red did with the Salisbury mm-hmm. poisonings. Do you remember that case? Mm-hmm. So yeah. se- seven days later, Russian businessman Nikolai Glushkov, who was 68, would be found strangled in his home in the southwest of London. This was a week after the poisonings of former Russian spy Sergei Skripo and his daughter in Salisbury. Now, while the killer has never been found, police believe the two incidents to be linked given the timings and the fact that Nikolai had himself been poisoned back in 2013, but he had he had actually survived. So that's an interesting one because I, I hadn't heard of this before um, no. really much, but yeah, obviously the, the police believe they were linked and he was targeted. It must be so tricky when detectives are trying to establish links or um, like completely detached links from cases, mustn't it? Like the complexity is in in doing something like that just must be so um difficult. Like I can't imagine, you know, just an extra layer of. Can we just cross check this and make sure there are no other like you know whatever's going on at the time? And and then it's like the amount of work that has to go into either discounting or or corroborating. Yeah. Now this next case is one I think we definitely might want to look at in detail in the future so this next case Rachel I think it's one that we definitely probably want to pick up and do in detail later because it fascinated me and I haven't done it justice but I couldn't give it obviously the full time here but yeah we're staying in March and now we're going to be introduced to a transgender woman called Naomi Hearst who was 36 years old she went to meet a man she had been talking to on a swingers website uh, fabswingers.com if anyone's interested and she went to meet Jesse McDonald who was 25 years old after several days drinking and taking drugs together Jesse stabbed Naomi to death with a knife and a broken bottle after drugging her so he drugged her first so she couldn't fight back he was living in the hotel that he stabbed her in so he went and hid in his room once he'd committed a crime, while he waited for his 18-year-old girlfriend, Natalia Dokowski, to arrive to help him clean up and dispose of the body. Oh my God, so the girlfriend was in on it? Well, yeah, he, he texts her. He texts his girlfriend, Natalia. Because what had happened, because basically it'd be four days in total would have been on this drinker and drugs binge. And, yeah. so, and she'd been frantically trying to message him to see where he was because she didn't know so he texted her when to come by and he said to her that he'd been he'd become addicted to a drug that he didn't know and somehow he had a massive black guy who was dead and a drug dealer on his floor so that's how he sold it to her now obviously it was a transgender woman who had been having sex with for days but um he told her it was just a black guy who was dead Wow. Wow. Now, she did arrive and helped him clean. And while they were cleaning, he texted his parents to tell them he'd been kept chained up for four days and that he'd been drugged and raped. Now, at some point during the cleanup, they couldn't dispose of the body because the police actually found the body. Oh. Jesse and his girlfriend were both arrested. He was charged with murder and she was charged with perverting the course of justice. She pled guilty. And he pled not guilty, with him sticking by his story that he was the one who had been drugged and raped. Natalia was sentenced to two years suspended in prison. Well, two years, but suspended, so she never went to prison. 150 hours of unpaid work. And Jesse was sentenced to life with a minimum term of 20 years. Wow. So, yeah, I think that's what is such an interesting story that I think maybe that's one I have a meal you should pick up on. I haven't done that justice at all. 
Yeah, I have a lot of questions and just conscious by the fact that you said that it might be one that we do pick up on the main show. Like, I'm not going to ask them now because I'd, I'd either prefer to hear about it or to, you know, present it myself and, and, and kind of answer them. So, yeah, we'll, we'll stick a pin in that one. Okay, Grant. So let's get forward now to May. And I don't, I, I usually try and say at least unbiased at the beginning, but I'm not going to now. I will introduce you to a horrible, vile man, Rachel. Oh. Martin Kavanagh, who was 35 at the time, and on the 20th of May, he strangled Sophie Kavanagh, who was 31, and he strangled her in his flat before stripping her and putting her to bed so it looked like she died in her sleep. Wife? Sister? Well, yeah, the pair had actually been married back in 2011, Mm. but they'd split up because he was jealous and possessive and controlling. Wow, sounds like he didn't get yeah. over that. He, however, yeah, he, like you say, he, however, couldn't accept that the relationship was over. And he continued to try to control her in many ways as he was unable to accept the marriage was over. One of one of the ways was that he discovered Sophie was using Match.com, no dating website, to try and find yeah. a new partner. And so he worked out her password and he accessed the account, changing details, so she'd never get a date. Oh, God. And that's just one of many things. In the week leading up to her death, he was bombarding her with messages, and he was offering her £100 if she let him sleep with her one last time. And every time he, he asked, she refused. Four days before he killed her, he messaged her saying, you have broken, shattered, and ripped me to shreds. It's always about them, isn't it? It's always about them. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. They're I, the victims, aren't they? I mean, the relationship broke up because of him. It sounded like it was definitely a controlling relationship and yeah. probably abusive, but she did this to him, apparently. Um, <laughs> so the day before the murder, she agreed with him that she go to a wildlife park. And, you know, we hear this, but I think it's sometimes just to, for some peace and quiet, isn't it? Say, yeah, okay, I'll go to this public place with you because... It will shut you up messaging me, give you some peace, maybe. And that's the thing, like, absolutely. They're, they're thinking, I know this person. I know that if I just give in to at least one request, then it'll, it could calm down for a couple of days. Yeah. And she's probably thinking wildlife park, it's going to be kids, families, yeah. other people around. And plus, like, he may have put the charm and affection on where she thought, gosh, maybe... You know, he has changed. Like a lot of these people coming out of these coercive, controlling relationships, they just they want so bad for their other half to to change and be that person that they fell in love with once upon a time. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. And they had a child together, so she would have wanted maybe to keep some sort of contact for for the for the kid. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ultimately, the wildlife park ex- was the excuse. So he could get her, so he could kill her. He would plead not guilty to murder. <laughs> they all plead not guilty to murder. Mm. I know I, I may have like flippantly said in a previous episode, last one or the one before that, I would not plead not guilty to murder because it's, you know, it's it, just just on the off chance you might get aware of it, but it, it may it makes you wonder though because he wouldn't plead not guilty to murder, saying that. Listen to his excuse here, saying that he. He only put his hands around her neck for a maximum of 20 seconds because she was being really aggressive towards him because she'd been taking cocaine and she was attacking him. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, of course. Oh, that makes me so angry. But can I just say, like, to your point, when it's it's such a slam dunk case, like, and there's so much... there's so much evidence towards it being you, like text messages, like and and DNA and all of that. Like you, by pleading guilty, first of all, you get a reduced sentence, don't you? It's a percentage off your sentence. Yeah. But second of all, you're not putting that family through the absolute pain and suffering of because I imagine that the court would have had to hear all the accounts of her abuse that she yeah. suffered at his hands to build that picture of him you know, being such an awful, vile, horrible human being, as you put it. Yeah, exactly. And there was two points to that. Firstly, that's why you hear so many times people, the cases where it's, and they pled guilty on the first day of the trial or the day before the trial, because what usually happens is they plead not guilty. And then just before, when all the evidence is obviously available to everyone, the barrister normally goes, 
you're gonna get you're gonna get found guilty here. Plead guilty, so you get. I think on the last day, on the first day of the trial, then it's five percent off or something like that. Plead guilty, so at least you get this time off because you're gonna get found guilty. So that's what happened then. But but the second part is, um, yeah, and I think he wanted to. Cause let me read what he he wrote something after he killed her. Mm-hmm. It was revealed in the trial that he wrote a notice board in his home and this message. And this kind of alludes to what you were saying. His thinking. So he he put this because he was blaming her. You know who you are. So to you, I say fuck you, and I really do love you. She deserved it. So, um, so yes. Wow. He would be found guilty, unsurprisingly and thankfully, and he would be sentenced to life with a minimum term of fifteen years. So everyone's probably thinking, Rachel, my word, he's in May. When is this going to end? There were many more murders that took place, including one of a poor woman who was believed to be 50, no one knew her real name apart from the man who killed her because she was his wife, no one had a photo of her, and she was buried under the name Karen because that's what people knew her by, but they knew that wasn't real, her real name. So her killer, who was found guilty, by the way, never said what her name was or real age or even provided a photograph. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, so that was like a little bit depressing. But the last one I want to talk to you about, and I did pick it as a random, which is why there's so many at the beginning of the year. It wasn't uh, by choice. But the last one I want to talk to you about is a murder of heavily pregnant Sana Mohammed, who was 35 and a mother of five, with one on the way because she was heavily pregnant at the time of her death on the 12th of November 2018. Sana was married in an arranged marriage on her 16th birthday to, now I may get this name wrong, but I don't really care. Um, Ramaj, Ramanoj Umafau Alej Ado, who was, Let's call him Ram. Yeah, we'll call him Ram. He was 30 on her wedding day, and it was back in the home country of Mauritius. Hang on, he was 30 and she was 16? Yes. Oh, my God. They, they both moved to the UK, but in 2012, their relationship broke down after Sana jumped out of a bedroom window, oh. breaking her ankle. Now, she said she did so because Ram had been staring at her while sharpening knives and she was afraid for her life. Oh my goodness me. Yes. In 2013, he was cleared of attacking her and the judge at the time directed the jury to acquit him on attempted strangulation related to that incident. She did, however... What a horrible man. Yeah, she did, however, successfully get a non-molestation order against him which should have prevented him from going within 100 metres of her home in Alfred. Now, that order was still in place when she died. So, obviously, it didn't prevent him going within 100 metres of her home. She had three children from that marriage, uh, but she went on to marry again and had another two children and was expecting their third. Since since their split and divorce, he had been plotting his revenge against her and he'd spent £500 on two crossbows online which he had stashed near her home, and they were discovered in March of 2018 by a neighbour of Sanders before he could use them. So when they were discovered and he'd lost them, what did he do? He went out. He went online to buy two more, and he continued her, the surveillance of her and her house. The crossbows and bolts he bought online didn't require a licence, so there wasn't any checks that needed to be done. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, so on, on the 12th of November, so this was in March. Before March, it's actually the first ones. November when he killed her, so so that's eight months, like, planning and preparation. That's so bad. On the 12th of November, 2018, he took up position in Santa's shed, armed with two crossbows, a knife, duct tape, cable ties, and a hammer. Oh, jeez. He was discovered by Santa's husband who shouted for his wife to run as he was being chased into the while he was being chased into the house by Ram. When he got into the house, Ram that is, Sana couldn't move easily due to her condition because she was heavily pregnant, and he discovered her on the stairs, going upstairs to hide. He shot her once in the stomach with the crossbow. Oh yes, causing catastrophic injuries to Sana. Fatal injuries that caused her to die. Now, luckily, 
It's a strange word to use, but luckily her unborn son was able to be saved and he was delivered no. by Yeah, he was delivered by Caesarean section and he survived and lived to this day. So well obviously it's horrible she died, at least they managed oh to save her son. Please so, tell me he was caught. Yeah, Ram fled after he shot Santa. So he obviously um his defence tried to say because he didn't want to hurt the husband because he was looking after the kids, but like I, I don't know why he fled, but he fled after he shot her, but he was arrested at a late stage. When he went to the... You know what I'm going to say here, don't you, Rachel? When he went for the trial for murder of Santa, he pled not pled guilty. not guilty. He pled not guilty, yeah. Claiming, this is the worst claim ever, that he shot her by accident and he didn't mean to. Well, why did he buy the gun in the first... Why did he buy the crossbow in the first two, place? Why did he have two crossbows, duct tape, a hammer, knives, you know? No, I did it by accident, yeah. Why would you hide it in the shed? Well, I don't know. It's all by accident, isn't it? Um, I didn't realise it was real. Yeah. He would be sentenced to life in prison, obviously if I'm guilty, with a minimum Good. term of 33 years. Good. Yes. It was widely accepted, though, that he couldn't accept how happy Santa was and how much his kids had bonded with her new husband. Yeah. and that, uh, Her kids were happy too. That's six children left yeah. without a mother yes. as well. And what seems like an absolutely wonderful woman, she sounds like it, and this man gets to live, albeit in prison, see out the rest of his days in prison, but his life continues on. It's, it's just not fair. And a brave woman who had managed to get out of a arranged controlling marriage in the first place and start a new life for herself, getting married, have more children. You know, by all accounts, her new husband was like loving and gentle and what you'd expect a partner to be, irrespective of gender, but yeah. So, Rachel, a different episode this time, but I just thought it's the end of the season and it's one that might get people thinking because... We focus on the crime and then we're like, oh, how horrible that is. And we focus on it so it must be different. But like, it shows you all the murders that happen. And this is in one city in the UK. Uh, and I've only covered a couple, like a few of the murders. There were like babies being killed. I didn't want to cover those. But, yeah. you know, babies, old people, all sorts of reasons. So many knife crimes from gangs. So many. And when I was reading, I was... I, when I was reading, I read like some of the other cases and so many were just a, the victim's family saying, I hope this now helps bring an end to knife crime. That 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 quote or paraphrasing of that quote, I've, I saw so many times and obviously it doesn't because this was 2018 and it, it's just got worse since then. I did an episode specifically on, um, you know, right at the end, like the knife crime statistics across the UK and it is shocking, but there are so many charities now working towards like ending knife crime, you know, collecting like knives and and trying to educate kids in school not to carry knives. You know, it's not cool. It's not some symbol of like what what they are on the streets. Like there's so much going on. You just got to hope that carrying on chipping away and telling these stories will have an impact on the future generation. Definitely. And just... Correct me if I'm wrong here, Rachel, just for those people out there thinking, I can't remember that case. That was on one of our Patreon episodes, wasn't it? It was, sorry. Yes, yes it was on Patreon. Um, so, yeah, Rachel, so many different sliding door moments for people that could have prevented them from killing or being killed. Like, for example, Harry, the model, was warned that George was violent and not to engage with him or entertain him. And mm -hmm. obviously... All it takes is a moment. Yeah. That's all. And do you know what? I think so many of us have just faith in humanity that it won't come to something, you know, so violent. Exactly. So we're off on our one week break now. Rachel off to sunny climates and I'm off to play football manager. So we're back on the 9th of May with a whopper of a story. And actually, um, it's a death in my birthday, we're back. So feel free to drop me a line saying happy birthday. But Rachel kicks off that season, season three, with a bang. And a story suggested by one of our patrons, Ant. So Ant, he suggested it a while ago, but it's finally coming. So until then, please do stay happy and we'll be back before you know it.
Speak soon, guys. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.